I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. It is week four of December 2022. Will it get out in time? Yes. Uh, movie month. And it was my selection this week. I had told Rob back in the early stage, like, well, I've got two things I kind of want to do. One's a TV movie and one's Canadian. He's like, do both. So yep. we did both. We watched our TV movie last week with the Walton Family Christmas. And this week we watched the Canadian thriller, The Silent Partner, the story of a man who figures out that his bank is about to be robbed and figures out a way to rob it himself and blame the prospective robber. Now, we should clarify, this is not exactly a Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah, technicalities, technicalities. It's time for you to gush about my movie. What are your first impressions? It has kind of that timeless quality to it the the film is you know it's it, there's parts of it that are a little bit dated mm. but again it has that timeless quality like it, it it didn't feel that outside of some of the things like the paper records in the bank mm. it didn't feel that out of date no and it was fun it was some of these actors i had not seen a lot of their stuff when they were younger yeah, yeah. like i think this is the youngest thing i've seen elliot gould in mm. uh, christopher Plummer when he first came on the screen christopher Plummer the uh Lesser, the uh, lesser Max von Sydow. Mm. When he first came on the screen, I w- I didn't recognize him because I haven't seen him in a lot of things when he was this young. Mm. And so that was kind of fun. His character is... I liked that ending. Oh, this is this guy you don't want to mess with. He's a seriously strong villain. Yeah. the Yeah, the, even the, the smaller... A lot of the smaller bit parts were still good in this. Uh, most notably, a very young John Candy. As a security guard, I think that's his position at the bank. No, John Candy. Yeah, he is. His name is Simonson. He actually just works in the bank. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he's supposed to work in the back, but he comes to the front because Louise is there. Yeah, he likes he likes Louise, who eventually will cuckold him. I don't think I've ever used that word on the podcast, but yeah. it is what happens to him in this uh, in this film. Any other opening thoughts before I tell you how I became aware this thing even existed? No, I'm I'm intrigued. Okay, so winter 2020, Christmas time 2020. I'm scrolling through Facebook and I like movie stuff, so I'll get things on my feed that are related to movies. There was a little article that said, "This year, don't watch Die Hard. Watch The Silent Partner." I'm like what? So I looked at it. I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. I think I'll watch that. I watched both movies that year and again this year. Yeah. This is, there's, there's that saying, well-established, that Charade is the best Alfred Hitchcock film that Alfred Hitchcock didn't direct. This is the second best. Okay. This is a very Hitchcockian thrill. It's about a guy who's in, just happens to be in, a, in the right place or wrong place, the right time or wrong time, and he sees an opportunity. He sees this Santa Claus, something's weird about him, doesn't seem to like kids, He's really paying a lot of attention to the bank. He he finds this uh, note, note, like the carbon yeah, copy. carbon copy, like that he had gone in and like had practiced writing. You know, I have a gun. Hand over your money, and he puts this together, and he realizes there's this guy that brings in big deposits to the bank, and the Santa Claus comes in with the intention to rob at that time when. Well, but he realizes that when he's at lunch and sees the Santa watching yeah. the businessman come by. Yeah. Yeah. But but the biz, the Santa Claus is interrupted because of this kid that c- keeps wanting to talk to him because he's a Santa Claus. 
Well, and the funniest part about that is that the kid has asked Santa for a BB gun, and he's like, look, he's got his, my present in his pocket because he's carrying oh, a yeah. gun. And so that freaks the Christopher Plummer out, so he leaves. But that pretty much solidifies in Elliot Gould, who's our uh, lead, Miles Cullen, in his mind what the intention is here. And he comes up with this scheme where he takes the money and puts it in his briefcase, lunchbox. his lunchbox, and then which he later puts in his briefcase. briefcase. And he's doing transactions out, you know, kind of underhanded outside of this until Christopher Plummer comes in. And then he gives him, you know, what little money is in the actual register. And Christopher Plummer Did runs you away. how much money it was? It was, I forget. It was 1000 Two hundred and excuse me, one thousand one hundred and sixty-five dollars. Okay, and Chris Plummer gets away, but he watches the news and he learns that the amount stolen was forty-eight thousand five hundred Canadian dollars in nineteen seventy-seven. One forty-eight thousand three hundred and eighty-five. Okay, and he realizes what has happened, and he tracks down Miles. And harasses him over the phone from a phone booth outside of his apartment and breaks into his apartment. And eventually, Miles outsmarts him again. Well, but even before that, Miles is basking in the attention that has come with this robbery. Yeah, so this is where we're kind of the things to talk about delve into to, to two paths. And so one is the relationship that he has over the course of the film with Christopher Plummer's Rickel is what he's credited as. And this rivalry of Elliot Gould continuing to outsmart him, and he gets him so he's in prison for a while, and then he gets out, and he's got this scheme to, to, to get, his, uh, get his revenge and get the money. And then what this does to Miles' persona and to his sense of self because when they introduce him, he has, he's got to be around 40. He's uh-huh. the lead teller at a bank in a mall in Toronto, Ontario, the Canada. Vault teller. He's the vault teller. So, you know, he's not particularly accomplished. He's, he's not very social. He, ha- he has a heck of a nice apartment, which I envy. And he keeps tropical fish. Like, that's his, like, defining characteristic before the robbery. But once the robbery happens, all of a sudden, everybody's, like, interested in him. And the girl that he likes... At the bank, Julie, played by Susanna York, Julie starts to pay attention to him. Other people start to pay attention to him, and he starts feeling a confidence that he's never had before. And eventually, that transfers to the second love interest, who is Elaine, Elaine. played by Celine Lomez. Celine Lomez, who apparently was a pop star, from what I read. Oh, really? And uh, I don't think she did very many movies. And so there's that kind of complicated because she's actually sent in by Christopher Plummer to kind of seduce the information out of Elliot Gould but she ends up falling for Elliot Gould because he's much nicer than Christopher Plummer yeah. who who rapes and beats a woman early in the film. They say it's a, a teenager team. yeah, in a, in a jacuzzi at a or a, a, a steam it's, room. It's credited as the girl in sauna played by Nancy Simmons. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a monster. He's a violent man. So Celine Lomez, she acted for a, primarily for about about 11 years, but then she had another stint in, in the mid-'80s, 
and then again did another film in 1997, and then she actually appeared in a film as recent as 2017. All right, so kind of sporadic actress. Yeah. She's quite quite pretty, Yeah, uh, as is uh, Susanna York. And so, I mean, he comes from zero romantic prospects to two very attractive romantic prospects, and that's part of the... I guess the mystery of the film is who is he going to end up with? And the decision is kind of taken out of his hands. <laughs> yeah. When, spoiler, one of them is murdered. Yeah. But I I really enjoy this film. It's it's such an out-of-nowhere thing. Yeah. I This was not even on my radar. I don't even... You said you saw this at first in 2020? 2020, yes. We were not necessarily quite reporting our movie watching as regularly to each other at mm-hmm. that point. So I don't think I even remember you. I mean, maybe you I'm, told me I'm about sure this. I'm sure I mentioned it, but uh, you know, I yeah. mentioned so many movies that they don't always, always keep. Yeah. yeah. Especially one from 1976, was it? 78. 78, yeah. How about that 1970s work party, Christmas party they go to? It's like there's a lot of stuff that happened both there and in the work environment you couldn't do now. Well, so there was the work party, and then there was also Louise's party. Oh, yes, Louise's uh, yeah. wedding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were several things in that work party that were, yeah, would not fly today. Yeah. There's this subplot about Elliot Gould's father, who's basically catatonic in a nursing yeah. home, and he passes away, and they use the funeral, which happens several months after Christmas, in the spring probably, as an excuse to introduce the uh, Elaine character. It's, oh, I used to uh, nurse your father, and he, he loved you so much. And, of course, Ellie Gold knows his father doesn't talk, and so he immediately knows something's up with this lady. But she keeps finding ways to bump into him, and they, uh, uh, they start socializing and seeing each other, and he's, she's his date to John Candy's uh, wedding, and then they sleep together, only after that point does he confront her that I know something's up. One of the dynamics there, I was trying to think of something similar to what happens to the Elliot Gould character in terms of character transformation. The thing that I hit on is Martin Freeman in season one of Fargo. He's a timid man. The circumstances, he does something he didn't think he was capable of, and he gains an ego from it and a sense of confidence he never had before. Of course, Elliot Gould doesn't become the monster that Martin Freeman becomes, but he does let but doesn't a legal activity pump pump his sense of self up. Well, and I, you know, I'm challenging you slightly on that. Oh, okay. He doesn't become the monster. I mean, not to the extent that yeah. Martin Freeman he does. Doesn't, he doesn't kill people. Well, doesn't kind he? of indirectly. Yeah. You know, he makes sure that when they make this arrangement at the end where Christopher Plummer is going to come in to take the money because he's already killed Elaine, and yeah. he goes off script and comes early. He is dressed in drag. and Which was a, an impressive scene. Yeah. And I like the way he's always touching his hair. I thought that was pretty funny. And I forget what it was. There's something that, that, that just... Pisses, oh, it's when he says, I'm going to come back. It's like, you're going to be seeing more of me. It's like, well, really? Why? It's like, well, just guess. It's like, okay. And then he, he, he rings the alarm or well, triggers first, the silent alarm. Well, first he hands him something like it's a receipt. Yeah, yeah. But it's a note saying, I have a gun. Mm-hmm. And then he triggers the, the alarm. And, and that's as Rico, played by Christopher Plummer, picks up the note, realizes what's going on. 
that he's framing him. He's already set off the silent alarm. The guard's been alerted. And so the guard confront, you know. And the guard wants to make good for what he failed to do the last time. He wants to get this guy. And so he, Christopher Plummer shoots Elliot Gold's character. So Rico shoots Miles Cullen. And then the guard shoots Rico, who flees the the bank. And the guard pursues him, shoots him again. And Rico tries to get Miles Cullen back by telling the guard that he gave him the bank's money. And the guard's response is, yeah, what do you expect him to do? Give you his own? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, I this is fun. And this is just, it's kind of out of left charming. field. It's charming. It's Canadian. It is very rated R. Yeah, yeah. So if we have listeners who are sensitive to that, uh, this one is rated R for gratuitous stuff. There's not an excessive amount of language, but there is some nudity and there is some, some violence. violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some gratuitous violence. We got some trivias. In just a moment. I didn't see box office returns, but this had a estimated budget of $2.5 million Canadian dollars. It has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic of 76, and 7.9 on IMDb, which is very healthy. Well, I thought I saw 7.5, but yeah. Star Elliot Gould held a private screening for legendary to suspense thriller director Alfred Hitchcock, who apparently loved this. Oh, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. This would be very late in his life. Yeah, these are coming from the trivia section of IMDb. The only ever dramatic theatrical feature film to be scored by jazz pianist and composer Oscar Peterson, who coincidentally was a schoolmate of lead actor Christopher Plummer. Huh. One of the Canadian films to be developed and financed by the key, the first Canadian films to be developed and financed by the Canadian government's capital cost allowance program. Controversial for being a tech tax shelter scheme. Oh. Thriller writer Christopher Hansen's first successful suspense movie. Hansen would go on to write and or direct such thrillers as L.A. Confidential, The Bedroom Window, and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. I recognize that name in the credits. Yeah. This is mostly for Nate. The main location for this film, shown in the opening shot, is the Toronto Eaton Center a mall and office tower complex. It was opened a few months before the movie was shot, and as of 2015, it was still the most visited shopping mall in North America. Wow. The bank branch was real, but the name was fictional, and was located on the first level near a small fountain that has since been removed. The anchor department store and the complex's namesake, Eaton's, went bankrupt and closed in 1999. Alternate casting for the role of Harry Riegel. Right. Any, uh, Get on me. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. That I might have worked, I actually. I wouldn't have liked that as much, I don't think. I don't think Mick Jagger has the menace that Christopher Plummer can... I would have liked to see Mick Jag- Jagger in the drag. That part would have worked. I kind of have this feeling that somewhere out there, there is footage of Mick Jagger in drag. Probably. Director Daryl Duke walked off the film due to creative differences. Hmm. Curtis Hansen, who had originally intended to direct the film, took over the remainder of the shoot as well as the pickup shots and handled all of the post-production of the film. Wow. So it is still credited to as, as having been directed by Daryl Duke. In IMDb, it does give a directing credit to Curtis Hansen, but lists him as uncredited. Mm. The name of the black and yellow colored rare species of fish that Miles Cullen bought was Holocanthus tricolor which is more normally com- commonly known as 
a rock beauty or butterfly fish. Not an angelfish, as he references. The American DVD for the movie arguably implies two false story elements. First, the banknotes seen on it are USA bills, but the picture is a Canadian production with Canadian notes seen in the movie. Second, three characters are dressed in black and white gangster-like garb, implying a kind of Reservoir Dogs gang, which the movie clearly does not have. We didn't see those in the... We must have seen the Canadian version. Yeah, Canadian cover art. Miles Carr. Okay. It's a 1970 Triumph TR6. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Elliot Gould's character, Miles Cullen, hides the money in a Superman lunchbox. Do you know the other Superman connection? I know. Co-star Susanna York played Superman's mother Ah. in the first two Superman movies from 1978 and Superman 2 from 1980. Well, so they they would have filmed this within a year of each other, this and Superman 1. This movie is considered a Canucksploitation film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. That's a good that's a good name. The amount of money that bank teller Miles Cullen swindled out of bank rob- robber Harry Riekel was forty eight thousand three hundred and fifty Canadian dollars. This would be would equate to one hundred and seventy six thousand one hundred thirty two Canadian in twenty twenty or one hundred thirty eight thousand three hundred and forty one dollars US. The picture's story element of a heist at Christmas time formed the background uh, for the first few films of the Die Hard film franchise. The film was controversial. This is a spoiler and also a trigger warning moment. The film was controversial for its grisly murder involving the jagged edge of a glass aquarium. This sequence has been said to be one of the most graphically violent scenes in a Canadian movie and contributed to the picture's various 18-plus censorship classifications around the world. Which would have been appropriate. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a. Sh- I mean, I'd seen this once before, and it still shocked me when it happens. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. Very violent death. Yeah, I think that's all that's uh, worth sharing out of the the uh, trivia section. Did I impress you? What did you What did you think? What's How would you rate the second uh, partner? I was gonna go slightly out of order, but I'll I'll back up. I think this is an eight star movie. Three and eight. I'm giving it three and a half and nine. Yeah, so we're not too far apart. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it's very impressive. It's violence kind of holds it back a little oh, okay. bit. At least that, in particular, that one murder scene. Yeah. That's, that's pretty grisly. But it, it, it it's it's clever and it's smart and you really like the lead character and it's just a little out of left field and it's got one of the best movie villains ever. I mean, Christopher Plummer is just so intimidating. Well, and, and, and effective for how... Like what percentage of the movie he's actually yeah. in? Because he's gone from a big chunk of this in the middle. Mm. Jump now going f- further forward. This is number one for the month. Yes, I think we're probably going to have similar ratings to review first. Our films for the month was Home Alone Two, The Christmas Train, Homecoming, A Story of Christmas, aka Walton Family Christmas, and The Silent Partner. So your ratings are The Silent Partner at one. And then uh, go down from there. Well, the uh, a Christmas Story, the Walton Christmas movie, mm-hmm. then Home Alone two, then the Christmas Train. Yeah, I was exactly not exactly the same. I was not impressed at all by the Christmas Train. Mm-hmm. I was impressed enough by the what's the actual title of the Walton one? The ho- uh, the Homecoming, a story of Christmas. Yeah, I was impressed enough by that that I went and watched the two thousand twenty one Walton Family Christmas. 
made by the WB. The CW. Or, sorry, CW, which had some similarities and some nice elements, but they tried too hard to make it pretty. And so it pulls itself out of a Depression-era film because everyone's dressed really nice. Mm. The house is nice. The, the store is nice, you know. Mm. And it just, yeah, they, they overplayed it a little bit. It did have some charms, but it, was, it wasn't the same. And, spoiler, the CW kills off John Boy. Oh. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that the best Christmas movie we watched was the one least about Christmas. Well, so I was going to talk, make some parallels between this and Die Hard. Mm. This is a Christmas movie in the same way that Chris, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and that is that it is tangentially Christmas. It's not actually a Christmas movie, which you and I will disagree on. Like, the Christmas is such a small relevance of this movie. Like It's the first half. It's not even the first half. Yeah, roughly the first it's half. Just through the robbery. No, so no, the robbery and then afterwards... With they the have the stuff. Christmas party. They have the Christmas party and the cat and mouse between Christopher Plummer and Elliot Gould. But that's after Christmas. No, it's not. It's not up until what Christmas Eve. Is that when they? The have robbery is on set? Christmas Eve. No, the robbery is like several weeks. The robbery is on December. So the the opening of this film is today. Fourteenth is December fifteenth. Yeah. So uh, today in nineteen seventy eight. Actually, it does open on December fourteenth, and then they changed. The they date had just changed. Well, that's because they've gotten in for the day, and they're just changing it from the last. From I thought the they were day. changing it at the end of the day for the next day. No, I don't think so. That's okay. not the impression I got. But the robbery happens like two, three days later, and then they have the Christmas party. A good portion of this film is in December. Yeah. Uh, how about we settle on that? Yeah. I, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, everything from the wedding on is clearly not it's clearly. I think they skip for probably around three or four months. Yeah, because they're having Be- trouble continuing to we, cover up. The yeah, lines. we can't cover this up much longer. Yeah, <laughs> too much celebrating at Christmas with uh, Fogelman, I believe it was Jack Duffy. Yeah. So, yeah, this was fun. This was a good one. I'm kind of intrigued by how the month played out. Mm-hmm. You know, Christmas Train was intended to be a representative sample. I don't think we got the best sample on that. Mm-hmm. Home Alone 2, we knew what we were getting going yeah. into it, but it was nice to do a 30th anniversary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yours were the better two picks this month. Uh-huh. I, uh, claiming my title. I had to back up on my laurels a little after October. I was I was riding too much of a high. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But yeah, it was it was, it was a good month. Uh, it had some, some good ones in it. Uh, you know, this still is the, the highlight, The Silent Partner, and it's a film that it's only the second time I've seen it. I could definitely watch it again. But I was watching it this time, and I was looking at Elliot Gould's various suit coats, and I was thinking, you know what? I missed my time. Yeah? I missed my time. I, I've been telling you that for forever. <laughs> what was my Christmas gift to you last year, Nate? Ah, yes. It was a smoking jacket. Yeah. Nate missed his period. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. Come on. I pushed a button. Come on. Hello. Hello. Oh, I haven't sent it over yet. Okay. Are you going to go see The Way of Water? You mean... Smurf Cats 2 Aqua Cats? <laughs> I forgot about that. I think I'm going to go see it.
I think I probably am too. I thought you said you were, at one point said you weren't. Oh, I, I'm, I'm. Are we recording? Uh, I think so. Hmm. This is not me like trying to set you okay. up. Okay. No, I just like if I'm going to do decent stuff, I want to know that it's being recorded. Hold on, I'm waiting for it to. Hmm. Yeah, it's running. All right. I had heard that the reviews were mixed, but it's got like an 82%. Like, that's not mixed reviews. Those are positive reviews. I was hearing good reviews of it yeah. thus far. My, so, my underlying thing, yeah. and I think I told you this once before, I thought over, at the original Avatar was being overhyped, and so yeah, I didn't I go see it in theaters. Oh, and you regretted it? Well, then when I saw it, I was like, wow, this was awesome. Imagine how much more encompassing yeah. this would have been on the big screen. And so, I don't want to underrate it and miss out so so i told you before that uh, one of the main reasons i would want to go see it is because of one day it was a sunday morning december of 2009 and i think my brother woke me up oh yeah, yeah, yeah. a phone call yeah. you gotta see avatar so i'm like do it do that see it and honor my brother because he'd, he'd want to see it so i'm going to back you up a little bit you mm. said he woke you up at what time I forget when, but he I thought you woke said like me like 9 a.m. and I'm yeah, like, was like Wait a 9 a.m. or something <laughs> like that. And yeah. <laughs> so before we started the movie, mm-hmm. I was booking that thing. Mm-hmm. So it was our Christmas gift to our in-laws. All right. We have started for, for most Christmas gifts. We want to do experiences like things that people will remember, you know, cool experience type thing. Mm-hmm. You are possibly the main exception to that. Oh, okay. Because you are someone whom I can still fairly readily find something to give to uh-huh. who would genuinely appreciate receiving a thing. Okay. So I uh, swung for the fences last year. Uh-huh. Well, not swung for the fences, but I took a pretty good shot last year. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see what you will ultimately think of this year's Christmas okay. present. Teaser. Mm-hmm. It won't be paid off in this episode. No, it will not be paid off in this be episode. paid off. It'll be paid off in a little bit more than a week. Well, yeah. we'll find something to record about. All right. So, or in yeah. in the year in review, maybe. Yeah, something like that. So, one of the things you may have noticed on uh, the list of things, because we don't usually record these at my place, we did tonight, is on my Prime. I had a film called Dames that I have rented and not yet seen. Okay. I had never heard of Dames. Until recently, I saw a video of film directors talking about their favorite films of all time. And Edgar Wright, best known for uh, Shaun of the Dead and Baby Driver, named this obscure musical from the 30s called Dames as one of the ten best movies of all time. I was like, well, i got to see it. Yeah. It's like Joan Blondell. I love Joan Blondell. Busby Berkeley, apparently choreographed. But there's so many more bigger name Musicals like 42nd Street or Broadway Melody that you could put if you wanted to have something in that category of a Depression-era musical. But he chose names, so I'm, I'm curious. Okay. We about ready? I think so. What's your favorite Christopher Plummer film? I'm drawing a blank. Are you? There's none, none come to mind. I haven't, I haven't filled that category in my brain files i asked you that question without having anything in mind myself so kind of anticlimactic 